Welcome to The Work of Art. I'm Ted Weinstein. The Work of Art is a series of conversations with some of the world's leading writers, musicians, photographers, artists, and others discussing their creative process and their creative lives. Our guest today is Austin Kleon. He's the author of several books, including Newspaper Blackout, a collection of visual poems made by redacting newspaper pages with a marker. His next two books were both New York Times bestsellers, Steal Like an Artist, His Manifesto for Creativity in the Digital Age, and Show Your Work, His Guide to Sharing Your Creativity and Getting Discovered. He joined us from his home in Austin, Texas. This is part two of our conversation. Let's talk about your kids because it's uh, you are not shy about posting pictures of uh, your older son Owen on yeah. social media. The thoughtfully curated, I'll say, um, <laughs> and appropriate given all the fears about um, kids on the web and so on. Yeah, um, you have some great photos of him out in your studio with you, whether it's playing music or drawing or doing whatever. Uh, are you self-consciously trying to give him creative opportunities, or do you think about creativity while you're raising a child? I'm trying to get him to make me more creative. <laughs> I don't think kids need, I don't think there's anything you can teach a toddler about creativity. I think that if you, they just need stuff to play with and they need environments to be in where they just go at it. I have been so heartened to watch him just play with stuff. You know, just to get down on the floor and really like, I mean, it's weird when you see things about yourself that you never recognized before in your progeny. I mean, it's like, I never realized how obsessive I am and how um, just focused and dug into stuff I can be until I watched my son line up cars on the couch. I mean, my son will sit there for hours and get his cars just the way he wants in the right configuration, you know. And how is that true of you? Well, I I think of myself as kind of a, a lazy, you know, like, oh, flitting from one thing to the next. But really what it is is I get obsessed by certain things. And when I'm obsessed by things, I'm extremely into them. And so I'm actually happier as a person when I have a project going. Writing books is it's it's like a it's painful for me in some ways but in other ways it's like this is what i was born to do you know like when i'm working on a project like that like we just did um earlier in the year you know i put together this journal that's coming out later and i was kind of pushing again you know i wasn't super interested in it necessarily at first because i was just like i don't know you know i had to kind of be nudged into doing it and then once i was into it it was just like let me look at every journal anyone's ever done. And like, well, what could we put in there? And I was journal, journal, journal. And it gave me a focus, you know, and an obsession for a while. And it was this big burst of activity. And I was, you know, and I was working and I did it quick, you know. And then it's, um, I like to work. And that's the one thing that I've kind of, in a weird way, my, my kids have helped me discover that, is that I do like doing what I do. I, I, I like to be... You know, I like making a book. I like putting it together. I like, you know, I love blogging. I love 
I love making art. Like it's it's what I do, you know. <laughs> and in a way, I think being away that that's the other thing with kids is like when you're away from it, you realize, you know, they take you away from the work. And so they make you realize like what you're missing. We talk about work family balance for folks who work in the corporate environment or more traditional work settings. Uh, and you're saying work family balance matters for artists as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm someone who I've had a wife since I was 23. So like I've been a family guy pretty much my whole, I was not an adult very long until I had a spouse. And so family responsibility, finding artists, our cartoon of the artist is this wild, bohemian, reckless person that just kind of, you know, has affairs and runs around, you know, that, that goofy, you know, cartoon image of the artist. So it's been very, um, you know, every young man writer, I feel like, goes through a Kerouac period, you know, where they're just, I'm going to be Jack Kerouac and drink too much and run around. And, you know, the George Saunders calls it the Kerouac boner. <laughs> so, so, but George Saunders is a great example of a guy who I discovered who I was like, now this is a guy who does outrageous, I mean, his stories are just brilliant and crazy but also, he's this fantastic family man and very dedicated. It's the opposite of Man Ray, who said that an artist can't have a family. Right. I've had to actively look for those role models. And I looked for them very young. And it became very important to me to strike that balance before uh, between work and family. Now, the interesting thing lately that I've discovered is mothers, if you look at artists who are also mothers... That you can find a lot more good examples. You can, I mean, you can, because that's, that's way more of a test because a mother, you know, you are just constantly interrupted. That's what being a mother is. You're just interrupted all the time. And what being an artist is, is not being interrupted. So um, there's been some really wonderful books come out in the past couple of years about that. Um, these mothers who are also artists that I personally have found really enlightening um one of them is sarah rule who's a playwright she wrote a book called 100 essays i don't have time to write which i love that title um sally mann is someone who's interesting uh she just had a memoir come out now she's someone who actually used her children in her photographs um for better or worse and so much awfulness came out of that situation but it's interesting to read about her and how she feels about using her children and her work and what it means to be a mother. And, you know, I mean, that, that kind of, th for some reason, reading about mothers who are artists or artists who are mothers, for some reason, I don't know if it's just like a degree of separation. For me, that's just much more interesting than reading about another dad that's an artist. For some reason, I don't know why. I mean, maybe men just don't write about it as well. I know Michael Chabon's written a book about it. The argument from a lot of women is that it's because society's expectations of women are that they must play the parent role regardless of what their job slash art is, whereas yeah. men can define themselves as being free of those responsibilities. Um, Norman Mailer or whoever else can, or Picasso can just go flit around and there is an implicit or explicit uh, acceptance of that in the culture, which there wouldn't be for a woman acting the same way. It is the hardest gig in the world. I really believe that. I mean, I just think the way that the pressure that women are under um, who want to be mothers but also do work, I just, I, you know, I, I look at my, you know, my wife personally who decided to 
walk away from her career and what she was doing and to focus just on being a mom. Even the, the, the crap that she takes from the external world about that choice and you're kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't. And it's, it's unfair. And I think that the women out there who are making it work and who are kind of, you know, kind of staking their own claims and doing their own work, I just think it's really important. And I think that's why that you see so many of these interesting books coming out right now about that tension between motherhood and art. You know, Maggie Nelson's The Argonauts is one. Um, Jenny Offal did a fictional book called um, Department of Speculation that's really good. But those, I mean, I realized, I mean, I, I looked at my list of books I've been reading and I was like, wow, there's a lot of motherhood books in here. <laughs> you talk a lot about today and, and in your public persona about raising your kids and giving them the opportunity and encouraging them and not having them lose creativity in the way that so many of us feel uh, we have as we moved into adulthood. Who was encouraging you when you were growing up? Was it explicit or was it just people left you alone and you continued to be creative? It was both. I mean, you know, my mom was a guidance counselor. She was a home ec teacher. Um, she was actually both my both my parents are in youth development. I mean, my dad was a 4-H agent. He ran the, the county fair and stuff like that. So both my parents were in education, um, but they both worked a lot. And so my mom, when I was younger, I mean, I remember it's this weird situation where like she presented a lot of opportunities for me, but she also, I spent an enormous time, amount of time alone. I am functionally an only child, like I'm my mother's only child, which, you know, never surprises anyone who knows, you know, who knows me. But, um, but my mom would sit me down and she'd be like, all right, here's the Play-Doh kitchen table you need to make me something because I got to fix dinner. It was this very concentrated, like, make me something kind of activity time, you know. But then there was also, I mean, after my parents split, my mom kept the house. My parents split when I was like 13. My mom kept our house. And my dad built another house in the same town. But my mom, you know, we had this huge ranch house for two people. And so my mom just said, you know, you take the back room. It's yours. You know, just do what you want with it. So I just built this studio, basically. I mean, I didn't build it. I just arranged it, you know, where I had, like, my drawing desk in the corner. I had my piano in the other corner. I had, you know, all my music stuff, all my art stuff. It was my, it, I, it was a man cave before I was a man, you know. And so, but the other thing that happened was, you know, I would get off, like, when I was in middle school, I'd I'd get done with school and I'd come home, and Mom wouldn't be home for two or three hours. So I would just have gobs of time to just play guitar and draw and write and nap and dream and stuff. I mean, it's really a lot like what I do now. And the other thing is, like, my mom would drag me to the shopping mall every weekend. The first thing we'd do is we'd go to a Walden Books. We'd go to the Walden Books. She'd be like, pick a book, and she'd buy me the book. And then I would follow her through the mall until I finished the book. So it was just like this interesting mix of like being given supplies and opportunities, but then also like um, scheduled neglect almost. Not even neglect, just like just space to just be a kid. You know, I'm not an outdoors kid. I was never interested in being outside. I always wanted to be inside reading or drawing or whatever. My wife's the same way. We're indoorsmen is what we call ourselves, you know. So when it comes to our kids, I mean, it's this balance of, like, making sure they have the supplies, 
and the opportunities, but also just like giving them the space, you know, and not bothering them and letting them do their own thing. That implies and requires a sensibility. Every kid is pops out with their own persona and their own interests. Mm-hmm. Do you think that everybody has creativity that over time is squeezed out of them? Or is it just that some kids, like apparently your son, love to draw and doodle and be creative and fun, uh, whereas others just don't have that and are going to grow up, and I don't mean this at all disrespectfully, um, become an accountant and just have a head for numbers or something else? I should back up. I'm not sure my son has the the bug for the art yet. He almost strikes me as more of an engineer. Um, he is very, he can count. He's very precise. He puts things in order. He wants me to draw things. Like, he won't draw himself. He He's like a creative director. He's like, draw me a pickup truck. Draw me a car carrier truck. I'm looking at him and wondering, like, does he have a math mind? Or is he a little bit more of a logical? I don't know yet. But I, th- I think everyone has the potential to be creative. I think what happens is that the school system in particular, you just hit this age where you have to choose. People are kind of knighted and anointed. You know, you hit about middle school and people start saying, well, you're the artist, you know, or you're the math person or like, I can't do science. You know, you know, like, you know, people are squeezed at that point. There's something about middle school, but it's also that's the time when people become self-conscious, you know, of who they are and what their place in the world is. When did you become self-conscious of yourself as an artist? You know, I I don't know. It's hard. Like, I mean, I've always wanted to do this. I mean, there's never been a time that I didn't. I mean, I remember... In in first grade, we had to do illustrated books. You know, you had to kind of like come up with a little story and illustrate it yourself. And I just thought it was the coolest thing in the world, you know. As far as like actually making a living from it, I was, I mean, when I was 18, if you had asked me, I wanted to be a college professor. I didn't want to be an artist. I was like, oh, I want to teach school. You know, I wanted to be, I wanted to be like a philosophy professor. I didn't want to be an artist because I didn't think you could make any money or have any sort of life you know, being a, being an artist. And, um, and then you spend time in the advertising agency world. Yeah. Why do you laugh at that? Uh, at the, in advertising? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, advertising is full of people who I think advertising is, I mean, I have lots of thoughts about advertising. Advertising is client services. It's a whole different, like, it's not art. It's full of people who wish they were making art, but it's, it's art and commerce, you know. It's, it's a, functional it, creativity, it's not functional, individual yeah, exactly. creativity. Exactly. But I think things are happening in advertising right now where, you know, I was always wondering when I was in advertising, why don't these companies just do this themselves? Why don't they just hire people, you know, especially big companies? You know, it just, when I was in advertising, it just felt like a big billing game. You know, you just get clients and you just figure out how to bill them for a bunch of work and you just put stuff that's good enough in front of them. You know, it just felt like, I don't know. But then there's other, there are smaller shops that I think do really interesting stuff. I don't know. I learned a bunch about our advertising. Like when I was working in advertising, I mean, the biggest thing I learned is how to sell stuff because I had never sold anything before. Like I had never gone around and like tried to sell I was very anti-sales when I was a kid. I was like, I don't want to do those, like, you know how when schools will have fundraisers and they'll, like, you'll have to go door to door and, like, sell magazines? 
I remember being like 10 and thinking that is the lowest thing you could possibly do. How do you feel about Girl Scout cookies? Well, <laughs> I mean, that's the same thing, right? I'm like, if I wanted cookies, I would go and buy my own cookies. But what's interesting now is I'm a salesman. I have products that I sell to people. So now I'm very interested in young people who are really good at it and or who are working on it. I have a whole new respect for salespeople that I never had before. And you learn to deliver on time. Yeah, and but see, again, I didn't have parents who were salesmen. My parents were state workers. They, had, they were salaried people. As long as they got to work and did their work, there wasn't any real pressure. You just show up and you do a decent job and you get your pension after 35 years. You know what I mean? There wasn't any like, you had to be out there hustling. You know what I mean? I didn't grow up with that. So finally to be out and be hustling myself, it, it gave me a whole new respect for that, you know, for business. It's interesting. There need a number of folks in different roles, even in the arts. My uh, grandparents were ardent patrons and they said, they said without patrons, artists can't survive. And they felt it was literally their responsibility to be out on the weekends, looking for new young artists, buying work, doing all those things. They saw themselves as part of the ecosystem, not just the seniors of creativity, but as the patrons on the sidelines that help make the whole thing happen. Well, and that's what I think is really missing these days is I'm like, where is the dignity and the, I mean, not dignity, where is the glory and everyone glorifies the artist. But I'm like, for me personally, if someone would pay me to read books all day and tell people about them, I would do that because I occasionally I'm driven to make stuff. But like, I just like being part of the world. You know, I just like, I mean, a lot of what I do for, I don't have, I mean, for lack of a better word is I won't use curating. I share so much of my job is about sharing what I'm coming across because that's, what's really valuable to people in a lot of ways is, is just sharing the insights and sharing the stuff I'm bumping into. And I mean, what are the books that you know, my, my, my most popular books are just me sharing stuff that I've accumulated, little lessons I've accumulated over the years, you know. That mindset is a cousin to Malcolm Gladwell's notion of individuals being connectors. Yeah, you're just putting people in touch with, you know, you, yeah, you're just being a node in the network and you're connecting things, you know. And so I almost like that just as much as being an artist, you know, I mean. But my wife's always telling me, like, you, you're not an art, you don't. She's like, you've never really actually wanted to be an artist artist. You've always wanted to just be someone in the world who's like doing things and connected to the world. So I don't know that I would even have to make my own. I just see it all on a spectrum. You know, I like putting things together and I like writing and I like using images and words together to create messages. And I'm still, I mean, you know, your, your other guest, Ann Packer, she said, forget about being a writer follow the impulse to write. You know, I've been thinking about that so much lately. I'm actually going to write a piece about it later that I'm interested in the verbs right now. You know, it's like, well, maybe I'm not an artist. Maybe I'm something else. You know what I mean? It's like, let me focus on my verbs and like what I like to do and, and some career will come out of it. There's three different elements we've talked about. One is being the artist. Two is sharing other people's art, just as you say, being a node. And then the third is the more formal role of criticism, which requires a framework and also the ability to say negative as well as positive things to be a good critic. 
Does full-on criticism have any appeal for you? I think it's very difficult to be an artist and also a critic because so much of your job, it's easy to be an enthusiast because so much of the world is about making connections and building up your scene and stuff. And when you're an artist and you're critical of stuff, there's not a lot of payoff to it. Like there's not a lot of payoff to be someone who is actively critical about other people's work as a as an individual artist yourself. That's why I'm very I'm watching like one of my friends the other day was like, oh that Tig Nataro documentary on Netflix, so good, so wonderful, you know? And I was just I watched it and I was like, this isn't very good. But I was like, am I gonna go on Twitter and say, you know, that Tig Nataro documentary, I like her work, but I know a lot about her personal life now and like nothing about her work. You're making that call and I'm thinking to myself like what do I have to gain by that other than spreading my opinion? I don't know if that's a cowardly way of working but... Well it could be two things. One is you don't want to end up with a reputation or burn relationships in an arts community and then the other is just do you enjoy saying, um, enjoy is not the right word, do you want to be drawing attention to and spending your time immersed in the negatives when you could just sort of put something down and move on to things that are more interesting and more pleasurable for you. I've always thought for me personally, the best thing to do is criticism by omission. Omission, You know, is that if I point to the things that I love, then that is, that, that feels comfortable to me. You're channeling every grandmother in America. If you don't have something nice to say, then don't <laughs> say anything at all. I know, but I'm also, I love reading good, like, tear it down criticism. Like, I, that's why I love Dave Hickey. I mean, this is a guy who just is just like, you just don't get that kind of like, I'm going to tell you what I, you know, this is what, this is crap. You know? <laughs> that was actually a real issue for me when I was the music critic on All Things Considered, that at a certain point, well, I was originally brought in to celebrate and draw attention to things that weren't making mainstream radio. Right. And a notion that there's stuff that people aren't hearing about, so let's showcase that, which was great. But after a while, I said to the director, who at the time was Bob Boyle, and I said, Bob, I'm getting cavities here. Can <laughs> I run a negative review? Because not everything is great. Yeah. And he said, we don't want to do a lot of that because there's so much out there that isn't getting any attention. It's better to be showcasing the stuff that people wouldn't find out about that's wonderful. Yeah. But just for my own mental health, I needed to unleash a negative review once in a while. Well, and maybe this goes back to, I mean, I think one of the things that was really misunderstood about the book, Show Your Work, was that you don't have to, sh there, there are, you know, one of the things I would have liked to build into that book, or maybe it's an appendix, or maybe it's, maybe it's just, you know, a talk or writing, is that, you know, sharing things in different spaces, there are different places for sharing things, and you know, for me personally, like being negative about art or people doing things, that's like a private conversation. That's when it's fun to do that. You know what I mean? Is to, to have a group of people that you feel really comfortable, you know, saying what you really feel about. And then you have like kind of a, you know, public persona, you know, just thinking about the different spaces in which you should be sharing things, you know. A raucous, bitchy dinner party is very different from standing exactly. up on a dais and saying, hey, look at this wonderful work. 
Absolutely. And I think that's really what's missing from, I mean, I think you need to have, I mean, I think the online community is wonderful, but man, having buddies that you can go to the bar and bitch about art or, you know, having a salon or something where you get together and it's a real, or a writer's group or something like that, like that, you just can't, you know, you can't replace it. Our guest today is Austin Cleon, a self-described writer who draws, or maybe an artist who writes. He joined us from his home in Austin, Texas. Austin, thanks very much. Thanks for having me, Ted. Our guest today has been Austin Cleon, a self-described writer who draws. He's the author of several books, including Newspaper Blackout, a collection of visual poems made by redacting newspaper pages with a marker. His next two books were both New York Times bestsellers, Steal Like an Artist, His Manifesto for Creativity in the Digital Age, and Show Your Work, His Guide to Sharing Your Creativity and Getting Discovered. This has been part two of our conversation. You've been listening to The Work of Art. I'm Ted Weinstein. I hope you enjoyed this conversation and will listen to many more. Our theme music is by Mental99 and used with their kind permission. A production of Ted Weinstein Literary Management, this has been The Work of Art.